the only podcast going album by album through Joni Mitchell's entire discography. Today, I'm going to be reviewing Joni's 1979 album, Mingus. Yes, Mingus! Woo! (laughs) Um, Anyone else cheering for Mingus? No? Just me? Okay, well, I didn't think so, but here we are. Um, So yes, today we are at Joni's final Asylum record album, her final little, you know, experience in the 70s with Mingus here. Um, It's an album that is a collaboration with the bass player Charles Mingus and using some of his music, some of Joni's own music, and making it into this kind of amalgamation of, you know, a beautiful work of art that I think that they created. Uh, Not something fully, you know, fleshed out completely, but I think they did the best with what they could do you know a lot of it is because you know charles was you know dying and stuff we'll get into that in a second but um yes so i'm very excited to go over this album i should say i have actually been a listener of this mingus album for really since i started listening to Joni. it was definitely one of the first albums i started listening to weirdly enough i really took a strong liking to at least like one or two of the songs on the album specifically God Must Be a Boogeyman and A Chair in the Sky, those two songs really, they just hit some sort of chord in me that I really loved. And so ever since then, I've been a Mingus fan. And I know that there's a lot of mixed opinions on Mingus, which is, I've never understood that. But I guess if you're not into some sort of jazz fusion sound like Mingus is, then it makes sense why some people wouldn't enjoy it. Um, Personally, I really like it, but (laughs) what can I say? I should say, like, to start off the episode, just to address kind of the elephant in the room, is that the podcast for the past two episodes has been solo. Obviously, if you've been listening since the beginning, my co-host Tommy has not been here for Hygiera or Don Juan's Reckless Daughter. And so now... Um, it's just been me for the past few episodes, and it's sad to say that I think for the rest of the series, it looks like it's going to just be me for the rest of the albums. Yay, I'm sure someone out there is just so thrilled, right? No. (laughs) Um, but I'm very sad about it, but I totally understand Tommy has his reasons, and that's perfectly okay. Um, I've thought about maybe asking if people have a specific album that they know a lot about or are really interested in maybe having a guest on. So I guess just, you know, you someone can, if you would like to maybe get on one episode, you can contact me about that. But uh, yeah, for now, it seems like it's just going to be me, at least for the time being. And 
with that, the episodes seem like they're, you know, they're a little bit different, but, you know, I still really enjoy doing this, and I hope you guys enjoy listening. I love hearing the feedback I get from people and stuff. It's really, it's really sweet, and so I think to continue that, we'll continue on with Mingus, which is this week's album. So, yeah. So let's get into kind of what sparked this project, I should say. So Charles Mingus is was a legend in the jazz community at this point. I mean, he was in his mid-50s, and I think that he had built a reputation about himself as being one of those artists that is very talented but has a very uh, sketchy reputation. You know, Charles was known for his anger, and he talked about how, you know, he was with all these women he got with 26 prostitutes at one point you know there's all these things about him that people address that make him a very complex figure but then there's also a lot of things about him that made him an icon of his time and even today people still cite his music as such a big influence and I know I think Joni really really loved his music I know she's always loved jazz music um ever since she was younger so it would make sense that she would be curious about doing some of this project Um, so yeah, Charles was getting later in his life around his mid fifties and he had ALS. And so obviously if anyone knows anything about ALS, it's that it's a disease that really starts to slowly break down your body very fast. You know, there's not a lot of time. Once you get diagnosed, it starts to, you know, debilitate you very fast. And so Charles was aware that he sort of was reaching the end of his life and definitely his creative career, and he wanted to make a final project. So what sort of happened was he was throwing around names of people he thought about doing this final project with, and the original final project was going to be with this book. Um, I think it was a Charles Dickens book, and it was going to be a sort of music would be played and then lines from that book would be read by this narrator voice and then interpreted. Um, And that idea was the original idea that Charles had presented to Joni. And you're probably wondering, well, why did he pick Joni? And the answer to that, (laughs) thank you for asking, the answer to that would be that, well, there's two different stories. One is that he heard Paprika Plains and he thought it took a lot of nerve, you know, in a good way, to make that song is very bold and risky choice. And so he was like, huh, I think that skinny ass folk singer might be an interesting person to work with. He did call her a skinny ass folk singer, allegedly. And then another story is that he was inspired because he saw her on the cover of Don Juan's Reckless Daughter. And he thought that that was very bold of her um, to do, which, yeah, that was definitely bold. Uh, I don't know how well that boldness has aged, but we'll let that be. So those are two two of the stories, but in either way, um, I think his wife, Sue, at the time, reached out to Joni first and asked her if she would be interested. And Joni was not originally super interested in that idea. She had told Charles, she said, look, I could interpret the Bible if you wanted to do a project about death. I could do the Bible, like, that's a lot more accessible for me, but the text you're giving me, there's not really much here. And so that project kind of started falling through. And then after Joni had sort of backed out for a little bit, Charles ended up coming up with these six compositions and he called them Joni one, two, three, four, five, six. And he would call Joni and say, Hey, I got, this is how Joni interpret. I'm doing Joni's voice of Charles. 
this is like me doing Joni's doing Charles' impression. Three impressions in one. He's like, I have two, three, six tracks for you. I call them Joni. One, two, three, four, five, six. And try to kind of lure her in. And so when Joni first met Charles, she actually went up to meet him in his little, I don't know, I guess it was a penthouse in New York City. And he turned around in his chair and Joni said he had the most mischievous look on his face. And it was just like she knew that she wanted to work with him. And so basically what these sort of demo sessions that she started doing with him with these tracks he was giving her and they started coming up with original ideas instead of doing this like book sort of, you know, narration thing ended up coming with what, you know, we now know as Mingus, the album. So, and there's a lot of demo sessions that led to the actual album. If you look up on like YouTube or something, if you look up like Mingus, Joni Mitchell Mingus demos or sessions, you can find some of the stuff. There's a lot of stuff on there. I don't know how much of that's actually going to make it onto the archives that she's going to do for Mingus. I'd be really curious. I mean, I still, they still haven't released the archives yet for like hissing and stuff, which I guess that will determine what we hear if they're, because if they're going to put some of the stuff from like the seating of Summer Lawns, then maybe they're going to put some stuff from the Mingus demo sessions on the next one. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if anyone else is thinking about these things as deeply as I am, but LOL. Anyways, so yeah. So that's how those sort of sessions started building into the album. And then slowly but surely, the project was sort of coming into full form. Now, Charles wanted the project to be a completely acoustic players. He really wanted to have a band like, a, you know, a Miles Davis players, those sort of true jazz acoustic musicians. But Joni, to Charles' dismay, wanted her players. She wanted Jocko on it. She wanted Herbie Hancock on it. She wanted Wayne Shorter on it. And Charles wasn't too happy about that, but I have to say that those three players add so much to this album. They make it so, something so beautiful about this album because of those specific players. So I think Charles was in the wrong, actually, in that in that field. But uh, yeah, so she ended up getting those players onto the album. I know that Joni's record label told her not to do this album. They were like, this is basically gonna, this is gonna like cut you from the mainstream it's gonna destroy your career and in a way it didn't destroy her career but it changed paths of her career because she wasn't i think she said that it basically banned her from radio i don't know if that's really true but i mean i guess there really isn't a song on here that would have made sense on the radio i can't imagine i mean maybe no i can't imagine any of these songs on the radio but rock wouldn't play her jazz stations wouldn't play her and so she was basically just cut off because of doing this album but I think looking back on it, this is an album that she's very proud of. She said that this is like the hardest she had ever worked on an album in her life because she wanted to make it perfect because it ended up really becoming an elegy to Charles. It really ended up becoming his kind of, I mean, I don't know, like an, almost like an obituary of about him or a, a, re, a telling of his life through this project that they created. At least that's how I see it. But sadly, it wasn't fully you know, it didn't end up as the final project that I think that both of them had gone in thinking it was going to be, but it still managed to be something cool. Charles actually got to hear all of the tracks besides God Must Be a Boogeyman. He died before Joni had finished that track, but Joni said that he would have found it to be a very funny track, which I think I agree with. Um, <laughs> the album has a strange order because it goes like, demo tape song demo tape or a demo tape i mean like 
it's like a audio recording of Charles speaking or some speaking going on. So it will be like that and then cut to a song. It kind of like this tape describes what's going to be talked about in the song. I'll get into that more when we get into the actual songs, but that's sort of the structure of the album. I should say the album has, you know, a lot of themes of death, history, reflection, self-reflection, love, money. And really, really, it's it has a it has like this somber feeling about, you know, a nostalgia of life and a thinking of a future life. I don't know. That's how I see it. A lot about, you know, moving through time and space. At least that's how I interpret it. That sort of feeling. So yes, that is, that is sort of the themes on this album. I should say, um, critics were mixed about this album. They, some liked it, not, loved it. I don't think anyone really loved it. Some liked it. Some thought it was absolute trash and said it seemed unfinished and, you know, it wasn't a great work that ended up happening. Personally, I think it's great, but what do I know? I'm just <laughs> I'm just a 19-year-old listener. What can I say? But yes, uh oh, I should also tell the story about Paprika Plain. Sorry. I I cannot do this without telling that story. When Joni first met Charles, one of the first things that he said to her was, the strings on Paprika Plains were out of tune. And she said, oh, you heard that too? And he was taken aback because he was like, how do you know this? And she was like, because I'm a smart, smart girl. Like, of course I knew this. I think he was surprised, but like, okay, this girl knows her stuff. So that's just a little story. I don't know. I thought that that was a funny little, funny little thing. Also on the album, Joni or on the vinyl, I should say, Joni says, she writes in the final notes that, uh, in reference to Charles' death, she says, Charles Mingus, a musical mystic, died in Mexico January 5th, 1979, at the age of 56. He was cremated the next day, and then the same day, 56 sperm whales beached themselves on the Mexican coastline and were removed by fire. These coincidences that thrill my imagination. Beautiful. I think that's very very interesting way it has something kind of creepy about that right like that there's something ominous and or ominous going on in this situation about charles death but yeah i just know i thought that was a really cool line i think that she really had a lot of reverence for him and he seemed like a fascinating person i did a lot of little research that really had nothing to pertain to the album on him and it was just very very interesting very interesting person but um, yeah, I think it's time to get into the artwork of this album. Um, there is kind of like three different portraits. There's the front cover, then there's the middle picture when you open the album that has a portrait of Charles from like a back point of view that's of him in his wheelchair in Mexico. And then the last one is another portrait of like Charles. Uh, but all are not very realistic in any way. They're very free form, have sort of a figurative quality to them I, I i feel like her her cover the, the actual cover which is really just a blend of color you know of primary colors and then has a green little figure on it is super interesting it's really Joni's first non-figurative like abstract cover honestly it's like a morphing of paint in a really interesting way i feel like the cover kind of shows like the freedom or like loose quality that the album has and it kind of shows this segue into a more 
jazzy, abstract way of music that I think she's going to get into even more in the 80s. In a, well, in a different way, but still that same vibe. I don't know. I think it's really cool. It has just... I can't explain it, but something about the way that the colors are blending together has a jazz quality because it's very like fluid and free form and not super structured, which is what I think a lot of the songs on this album are. None of these songs are very free form or strict to their, you know, to a verse, chorus, verse, chorus. They kind of go many different directions. So, so yeah, that's sort of, I, I don't know. I think it's really good artwork. I love the portrait that she does of Charles from a back point of view. I think it's a really cool a really cool kind of picture of him but uh yeah i think that's all i have to say about the artwork why don't we get into the actual songs on the album or i guess we start with the little audio tape but the first audio tape is entitled happy birthday 1975 so this audio track or audio little recording is like the first of the multiple demo little tapes to open the album and these were these tapes were given to Joni by Sue who's Charles' wife when Joni visited Charles in Mexico at these because he went to Mexico to have these like kind of holistic healers try to heal him and so she went there and Sue gave him these tapes to give Joni a better idea of who Charles was and so she opens this album creepily with this tape that is a happy them singing happy birthday to Charles, not Joni, but Sue and I guess Charles's friend singing happy birthday to him for his 53rd or 54th birthday. And there's a lot of confusion, I guess, about what birthday it is because someone says 54 motherfucker and then someone keeps saying 53 and they're fighting. And that's just... It's really funny to hear them talking in the background about debating his age and some and I think Sue keeps saying like play that weird minor chord, play that weird minor chord for like set the pen playing the piano, sing happy birthday. It's just it's a really endearing and kind of sweet way to open the album, but there's also something creepy about it because if you think about it, this album has this theme of death throughout all of it because Charles is on the verge of dying and is dead, you know, before the album's actually even released. And there's something about this concept of, like, a birthday is, you know, the every birthday leads you closer to death. Every birthday, in a very morbid, a very morbid way to describe them, leads you closer and closer to death. And so maybe that's why she chose to open it, this album with it, because she's saying that each song is going to lead you closer and closer to the end. Because the final track really is the elegy or final, you know, hurrah of Charles or dedication to him that Joni does. So I think that's really why she chose to open with this tape. I'd be curious to hear her actual talking about that, but I didn't see anything about that. But yeah, so that's kind of what opens. And then it blends into the actual first real song on the album, which is God must be a boogeyman. <laughs> Do you like my singing? Anyone? No. Okay. Well, the void is saying no. Um, <laughs> So this is obviously, like I said, the one track that Charles did not get to hear, but, and it was lyrics and music are by Joni. And the song was inspired by Charles Mingus's autobiography, um, which he wrote, which is semi-fiction. It's not a hundred percent accurate. A lot of people that I've seen talk about it, they say, you know, he kind of exaggerates a lot. Um, that's the one where I got the 26 prostitutes in one night. That's where that story comes from. But uh, 
besides that, he opens the autobiography with these kind of these talking about how he is three people in one. There's three different people in one Charles Mingus. And so this song, Joni opens by describing that, you know, she says he is three ones in the middle, unmoved, waiting to show what he sees to the other two. And she thinks that Charles would have found this song very funny. And I, I, I tend to agree because there's a lot of lines in this song that are very, very funny. Like the cockeyed plan, God must be a boogeyman. I don't know. I think that's silly. But really what I think this song is kind of describing is how in the overall arching picture of life, you know, life is kind of a cruel joke in a way. Having these three beings inside of you that are all so very different that have to fight each other to kind of get out is such a cruel joke on the world. And so I think it's, it's almost like Charles is supposed to be like looking up and just thinking like, God, God must be a boogeyman if this is how life is. I don't know. That's how I see it. Um, the music on this. Oh, it's so cool. It's the, it's like an acoustic guitar, but then there's also like Jocko's electric bass on it. It's just so, it's so good. Like there's this ominous quality to it. You're going to hear that word so much today's episode, like ominous, creepy, but cool. And the parts where it's like, I love those. It's such good music. And I, I, Joni always is playing the song. She loves this song throughout her whole career. Um, Some of the lyrics I should say that I really like on this song. I love the line. Um, one attacking so afraid and one who tries to love and trust and getting himself betrayed. I like that a lot. Or I like a, he lets people into his innermost sacred temple, blind faith to care, blind rage to kill. Kind of like each side of this man's like contradicting himself. Some's gentle. Some side is gentle. Some side is vicious. And, you know, there's many sides to one human. And I, I really like that. One wants to have blind rage and kill and one is blind and faithful and Charles I think was like that because he did have a rage to him that people noted but then he also had a side to him that was very soft and very romantic and I think that it captures that quality well my favorite part of the whole song is where she references that phone call with Charles where he says as these tapes Junie one two and three and she says which would it be Mingus one or two or three you know, kind of hearkening back to that, kind of asking M- Mingus from, because this song was written after he died, so she's basically asking him from out in the universe, like, which would it be, Mingus, one, two, or three? Kind of, which one would be the best way to have, to put on this album? I love that. It's this talking to the dead, trying to get it right. I don't know. It's it's very cool. And she, I don't know. And the chorus of this song where they're saying, where everyone's singing, God must be a boogeyman is really cool. It's just a very good song. I I love it. And it's always been one of my favorite Joni Mitchell songs. And I don't really see a lot of people talk about really any of these songs on the album, but this one is definitely deserves at least something. I think it's really cool lyrics and has a good beat. I don't know. There's like a cool little rhythm going to it. I think it has a lot to do with the bass that Jocko has, but, but yeah, that is God Must Be a Boogeyman, a great opener, opener song to the album, and yeah, now we go to the next kind of duet of uh, audio tape and a song, which would be Funeral, which is the audio tape, and then A Chair in the Sky, ooh. So the track Funeral 
is the second tape, and it's Charles kind of discussing what he wants to have as the funeral with his friend. I don't know who the actual friend is. I forgot to write that down, but he's discussing with his friend, basically, the friend saying, well, what are you going to do for your funeral and stuff like that? And he's, and Charles is saying, you know, I got it all planned out. I'm going to do it in India. And he has this plan of what he wants to do. He wants to have his ashes, you know, put into the Ganges River in India um, because he wants to be cremated and, you know, have this sort of funeral procession there. And the friends, you know, talking to him about that. And then there's this jazz, old jazz music playing in the background. I can, they're totally probably like smoking and it's, it's just this really cool vintage quality to it that I love. And I love the part where Charles is talking about beating Duke Ellington. He's like, Duke was 71. I'm going to cut him, man. I'm going to be him. I just love that. Like these jazz legends fighting for who's going to live the longest. It's just very funny. I guess Duke beat him in the end. Duke, Duke cut Charles, but I don't know. It's very funny. Joni actually wrote on her vinyl, on the vinyl notes about this funeral procession. She said, Charles didn't end up being buried in India. Sue, at his request, carried his ashes to India and finding a place at the source of the Ganges River where it ran into turquoise, glinting with a large gold carp, released him with flowers and prayers at the break of the new day. I love that. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so, yeah, this funeral demo tape goes into the song A Chair in the Sky, which really is a reflection on life itself. You know, every aspect of life, love, money, things you're going to miss, things that you're going to look forward to in a future life. I think that this song really goes over every single other thing that all the songs on this album talk about. Every song after this has something from this one specific track. It's I think re- I really think that every other song goes about the things he's going to miss like specifically. This song's about everything he's going to miss, but then the next song is like the things that he regrets or um the dry cleaner from Des Moines is about him talking about how in his next life he wants to be richer than he was in this one. It I don't know. This is a great overture kind of song to everything that's coming on this album. I know when Joni asked him about this song, she said, what is, what does a chair in the sky mean? And he said, it's about the things I'm going to miss. And she knew she was like, okay, hmm, what am I going to write? Cause the melody on this song, I should say is Charles's music and the lyrics are by Joni. Joni gets Herbie and Wayne on this song and they just, they knock it out of the park. Truly. There's little interludes kind of, where their music breaks and Herbie and Wayne or one specifically kind of cuts in and creates this beautiful, you know, music for Joni to do some sort of jazz scatting over jazz vocalizations where she'll just be like, do, 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 um, which I love. Don't you love my vocals on that? Anyone else really appreciating this? No. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this song really kind of paints a picture of Charles looking out the window of his penthouse and just watching the world and reflecting on his looming death. And he's like, you know, I'm waiting for the keeper to release me. He's waiting to be relieved of this pain of living, you know, daydream drugs, the pain of living as he's just so ready to kind of escape to another realm. But then he's also, he's ready, but he's also not ready. Do you know what I mean? It's like he knows he's excited, but he's also sad because there's many things he's going to miss. You know, he's going to miss friends. He's going to miss women, lovers he never got to kiss, 
But then next time in his next life, he's going to be bigger and better and be rich as Standard Oil and all these fun, all these like really fun things. You know, he sees himself burning up the bandstand next time. You know, I don't know, all these great little little reflections that she puts in there with her lyrics are so good. And I love her voice on this track. It's so smooth, so smooth. It's it just cascades across the music in the background. I love it so much. And I think it captures Charles feeling about death so well. It, like images are fading in and out while he's daydreaming. He he's just having all of these kind of thoughts that are just I don't know, they're very interesting. And yeah, I love a chair in the sky. This is another one of my favorite songs on this album. Another one that nobody ever talks about. Literally nobody ever talks about this song. Um, which is so sad because it's so good. Even if you're not a great or a big jazz fan, I think that there's things you could pull out of this song or little thoughts you could get. I, I think that this song is a great reflection on just life in general. And sometimes I listen to it and just think about things that I haven't done that I want to do or things that I miss that I can't do anymore. I know I'm young, but you know, there's still things I can't do anymore. <laughs> but yeah, I, I really love this song and I think it's great. And definitely a lot of the things that are mentioned on this song will be talked about in every other song on the album, like the next song, which I'll get into now, which is the wolf that lives at Lindsay, which is sort of the song about, I think it's about the regrets or the demons that haunt you throughout your life based on some of the mistakes you make. This track also is just Joni music and lyrics. So it's sort of another one of her solo, solo pieces. I actually think that this is the last solo, just music and lyrics by her song. Yeah, it is. So she kind of has a little bit more creative freedom with it. This song is definitely the scariest or darkest one. I mean, the way that the wolves are howling in the background and the way that the guitar is shredding, like it's doing like the like it's so cool. I love it so much. It's just, it's so good. And the tuning that it's played on, I played on it before, like trying to play this song. And it's just, it's so eerie and creepy, but I love it. I, I love, I love dark songs like this. So of course I would love this song and it's just, it's so good. I know that Joni always tells a story about getting the tape of the wolves that howl on this song. So I won't go into that story, but oh, I guess, I don't know. Basically, Joni was at a hotel and she was about to do this jazz festival and she was saying that she was working on this album and needed some tapes of wolves for a song she was doing and then she went to a party and I don't know a guy had a tape of wolves for some reason and so she got this um <laughs> that's literally the most abridged version of the story possible because she, she tells it a lot longer and better but you get the idea and uh, I should also say that the um oh now I lost train of thought what I was gonna say anyways I don't know but yeah, it's a really, really cool use of the wolf sounds. Like, they definitely add a mysterious quality to it that I think is really interesting. It's like demons kind of rushing at you. If the song was to be described as, like, what's it about, I think it could be very interpretive. I personally... Okay, well, I'll do two different readings of it. There's a figurative reading 
or not a figurative. There's a literal reading, which would just be it's about a man who lives in the hills of Hollywood that's being chased by wolves. That's like the most basic way to describe it. But if you're putting it in the context of this album and Charles and all these different things, I think that this song is about sort of Charles having these guilts or these things that he's done in his life that he's not paying for now. He's not paying the price of them now, but there's a fear of paying the price of it in the afterlife. You know, they say in the song, Joni talks about the cops don't seem to care. Like, and if you're smart or rich or lucky, maybe you'll beat the laws of man. But in that same context, the inner laws of space and the outer laws of nature, no man can. So you might beat the crimes that you're facing on Earth, or you might beat the regrets you're facing on Earth, but in the afterlife, you can't escape the punishment of what you've done, is kind of how I interpret it. And I, th- I It's a really, and that's kind of, it's really a morbid way to describe it, but it's true. I think a lot of people feel that way, that there's a lot of things people do in life that they never have to pay the punishment of, but there's this looming, or there's this looming thing of like, I guess in this song, it's the wolves that are reminding you that in the in in death or in your next life, you will be paying the price for that. I don't know. Kind of creepy. A creepy aspect to it. And some of the lines, like the stab and blare and buckshot of the heavy, heavy snow, it comes and goes, it comes and goes. Basically, I think it's saying that these feelings, this uneasiness, these reminders of these regrets or bad things that you've done come and go. They... They leave you, but they always come back. I don't know. It's it's weird. But uh, yeah, also with the music on this song, the, there's these conga drums. I don't know if anyone has ever... It's Don Elias, who's Joni's boyfriend at the time. He does the conga drums. I don't know if anyone like listens to this song has ever noticed that. which I Because I never noticed them until I like looked at each player on each of the tracks. And I was like, wait, there's conga drums on the Wolf Fillers at Lindsay? And I re-listened and I was like, oh okay yeah there are and they're really cool like they definitely serve a purpose that i really really like they add to this creepy quality and it's just like no one else but Joni mitchell could do these guitar this guitar that's like shredding with congas and then layer it with wolf howling sounds and make it such a great cohesive work like she did on here it's so good it's and i think Joni's really proud of this song i've heard her talk about it multiple times Especially the wolf story, I should say. But, uh, I mean, I would be proud of this song, too. I think it's great. And I think it's it's a brutal song about fighting the personal demons and things like that. But it's really interesting. And it definitely... There are definitely things touched on in here that, like I said, were mentioned in A Chair in the Sky. Which is really cool, because that song just prefixes everything. And the ending part of this song really when it kind of just builds this like dun 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 I don't know it's it's really really interesting and scary and all all sorts of things like they need to do a movie called like the wolf that lives at Lindsay or something about some like man who commits I don't know anyone else feeling that way who thinks we should get the wolf at Lindsay film greenlit I am gonna say me (laughs) no okay well (laughs) Now, uh, I think that's all I have to say about the wolf that Lindsay at Lindsay. Wolf that lives in Lindsay. There we go. So the next two tracks, or the next audio and song track, are It's a Muggin, which 
we'll get into, and Sweet Sucka Dance. So, we go from this feeling of personal regrets and things before you die, and now we go into the feelings of love. Oh, how how happy, how beautiful, but not really. And these this feelings of love kind of talk about being intimidated by it or a fool for love. I think Charles might have times in his might have in t- times in his life felt like a fool for love. I don't know. But the It's a Muggin audio tape is Charles singing this little melody. He's going, I's a muggin, boo ba ba doo ba. And then all of a sudden, Joni really, in a really endearing way, on top of him is singing, not on, not on top of him in real life, on top of him audio wise is going, and it's just so. It's so really cool to hear both of them harmonizing together for this little melody that ends up becoming... I don't really think it ends up becoming this song, Sweet Sucker Dance, but it definitely is interesting. The word muggin, I looked it up, and it said it means like a fool or being an intimidating of an intimidating face. So I was thinking like maybe it's in a reference to the next song about being a fool or intimidated by love. I don't really know if that's 100% true, but if you're to connect the audio track to the next song... That's kind of how I would interpret it. So, yeah. So the next song is Sweet Sucka Dance. And here is what I will say. I personally am not a huge fan of this song. Just, it's never stood out to me. This is really the only song on this album that has not stood out to me in a big way. I don't know why. I really have no explanation other than it's just not my favorite thing. It's really the most... mm, No, it's not. Never mind. I was going to say it's the most jazz track, but it's not. I think... Goodbye, Four Fi Hat is. But yeah, this is another Charles Melody, Joni Lyric track. And it's sort of just about reflections on love and intimate feelings about expressing love. Um, kind of, it's saying like, you know, love is a beautiful thing, but it's also a harmful thing. And we kind of determine the pace we go at finding it. You know, some make it as easy as a dance and then some make it as complicated and things to where they end up breaking up. I don't know. That's sort of how I have viewed the lyrics of this song. I feel like they couldn't be interpreted in many different ways. I should say the one part of the song that I absolutely adore is she goes, damn these blues. And all of a sudden the drum bams. (laughs) It's like, she's like, shit, all these drums. It just one singular drum. Can you, can you hear that? Yeah. It's so cool. I I love that part. It makes me laugh because I just, I, I don't know. I just think it's funny. But uh, yeah, it's an, it's an interesting song about, you know, insecurities and feeling foolish for love and trying to just see love as a dance so it's easier to understand or to get through. I don't know. I don't feel like it's really meant to be that deep of a song. I think it's just meant to be a little romantic track that is interesting to listen to. I don't think it's supposed to be like a groundbreaking changing the world type of track, but I like it. Some of the lyrics I like are some get lucky, some are blessed and some pretend this is only a dance. And then like tonight is a dance of insecurity, love. We can't live without it. Why do we seek it? And then, you know, try to go away and doubt it. I don't know. Really interesting. Real. Do I sound sarcastic when I say that? It kind of is sarcastic. Really interesting. I don't know. Um, but yeah, the music on this song is great. It has a, a good rhythm to it. And Joni does her kind of jazz vocalizations again on this song, which I like. But again, I don't know. I mean, does anyone else feel that way? 
see this is the problem of being by myself because i'm just speaking to a like black hole i'm just speaking into like a non-existent void but i i I don't know it's just not my favorite my favorite song so i won't go i won't attack it too hard but yeah that's sweet sucker dance I, i really don't have much to say about it but I'm sure my opinions on it just sounded like a bunch of rambling, but that's kind of how I feel about the song. Was that shade? Well, (laughs) kind of, in a way. Okay, so the next two little, two two tracks, not little, but two tracks, uh, the audio tape is Coin in the Pocket, and then the song is The Dry Cleaner from Des Moines. Now, I have to say, if we're looking for the most fun part of the Mingus album, if anyone's like, well, is there any like actual like fun songs that aren't just somber and about death? I would say, please listen to Coin in the Pocket, Dry Clear from Des Moines, because those two songs, or well, because that little section is so fun. Um, Coin in the Pocket is Charles talking about, it's just Charles speaking by himself. He's saying, you know, I'm not rich, but I've always had a few dollars in my pocket. Everything I touch turns to gold. He's like, you know, he's like, I'm basically Midas with the golden touch. And it's this kind of, I don't know, it's this funny way of him talking about himself. And again, it goes into the chair in the sky. I have to always hearken back to that. We're talking about being as rich as Standard Oil. Next time I'll be bigger and better. And this song kind of goes into that idea of being as rich as possible. And then we move into the dry cleaner from Des Moines, which is purely about being you know, extravagantly wealthy. It's sort of, literally, it's about a dry cleaner from Des Moines who goes to Vegas and has a golden touch and literally makes one coin into 20 and can't get anything wrong. He was pitching with purpose, had dinos and pooh bears and lions and pink and blue there, couldn't lose there, <laughs> to quote Joni. Um, but yeah, I love this song so much. This This is another one of my favorite songs off of this album. The way it builds in the beginning, it does it like you don't even get a second. It's just like but I'm down to a roll of dimes. Like it's so good. And Joni sings this song amazingly. She it the song really goes into many different octaves. It starts low, it's like losing the slop, the tot. And then she's in the end going like Or what's the part where she's like, This is a story that's a drag to tell. (laughs) I can't really sing a soprano voice, okay? Leave me alone. But yeah, it's just so good. and It's so fast and vibrant with color. This song is so vibrant. Like, I just see Las Vegas shining brightly. It's like, I create this picture in my head of, you know, being as rich as possible. I think that this song really is supposed to be describing, like, what it would be like if Charles in his future life got everything he wanted money-wise like this is what he imagines it would be. Oh, this is another Charles and Joni, like his music, Joni lyric. But anyways, yeah, I just love it. And some of the lyrics are so funny. That cat was clanking with coin. Well, he must have had a genie and a lamp because every time I dropped a dime, I blew it. He could bring in bells, nothing to it. Yeah, girl. Slay. <laughs> and then Joni's talking about how she's like losing money on every bet, but he's just making money on every bet and. She keeps calling him a cat. It's so weird. She's like, that cat's got luck. And all. Of... And then she does like harmonies with herself. We're like, that cat's got luck. That cat's got luck. Really lucky, lucky. She just does all these harmonies on herself, which are really cool. And I, it's just so good. She like rocks it out. Like at the end, the brass of this song. That's another thing. The brass of this song is so good. It's just blaring out and just having the, 
you just know that the musicians were having like the time of their life when they were playing this song. And I would be too, because it's so good. I, I cannot stress how, how fun this song is. I love it so much. And when Joni performs it on shadows and light, which I'll get into the next episode, she just, she sounds like she's just having the time of her life. It's, it really, I love this song so much. This really is the high note for me on this album. This is like the climax in a way. It goes the most places. At least that's how I feel. It also has the most vintage quality. It really is the song that has the most big kind of bandstand, old jazz connection or quality to it, I guess. I don't know. I mean, yeah, in my head, that's how I picture it. But I guess other people can see it in a different way. But yeah, that's the dry cleaner from Des Moines. I, I love it. It's such a good song. And yeah. Oh my gosh, wait. Now I'm realizing we're already on the final two. What? Oh my gosh. It's such a short album. I, I really should have should have known that it was going to be a shorter episode. You guys are so lucky. You don't have to listen to my groggling, groggling voice trying to sing some of these songs the whole entire episode. Um, but yeah, we only have two tracks left. Oh, okay. Um, one audio and one one song, which I have a lot to say about. The audio track is entitled Just Simply Lucky. And then, no, not the Britney Spears song. <laughs> and then the final track is Goodbye Pork Pie Hat. So Lucky is the final tape, a home tape of Charles. And he simply states, I was lucky, man. God blessed me. And I have a smile on my face right now. You can't see. But I, I think that that is such an endearing way. You know, this whole album is looking back at his life and him and him as a person and what he wants in his next life. But to simply state at the end, he just says, I was lucky, man. God blessed me. It's like it's like that moment when at the end your life flashes before your eyes and you just realize that, you know, at least for me. I know that one day I'm going to look back and be like, God, I was just, I, I've been so blessed throughout my whole entire life. And you just become grateful for everything at, near the end. And I think that that's sort of what, why she chose to do that track at the end. And I, it's, it's really a really endearing final audio tape to have on the album. And then we go into the final song, which is goodbye pork by hat. And this is, not a new melody that Charles created for Joni, but one of his most famous songs from his earlier albums, from his album um, Mingus Ah Um. I think that's what the album is called, Mingus Ah Um. And, uh, but yeah, Charles wrote the melody as a dedication to his friend Lester Young, who is a saxophonist that always wore a pork pie brims hat. Um, and so he wrote that song, it became very famous. And a lot of people put lyrics on it over the years, but then by the time we got to this song, I think Charles had told Joni he wanted someone to do new lyrics for it. He didn't like a lot of the ones other people were doing, and so he was like, you do it. And so I think the reason that Joni chose to make this the final track of the album is because, first of all, it's his biggest song, and so she that's sort of an honor in itself to sing such a legendary track. But then also... I think that this song is an elegy not only to Lester Young, who is what Charles originally made it for, but also to Charles. This song is an elegy to him, to his history, to jazz history. It's it's such a great way to close the album. It's the lyrics are brilliant, and I'm gonna try my best to talk best my best to talk about them, but um, we'll see. 
<laughs> we'll see how great they do. Um, just to start, I should say, I, the music on this, of course, is great. And it starts in in a really moody, a moody kind of slow build way. It's like, dun, 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 dun. you hear just like a little moment. I don't really know how they did that, actually, but it's really good. So they start with pork. Good. They start with that moment. I don't know. I don't know where I was going with <laughs> they start with pork. No, they start with that sort of music and then they go into the lyrics. And Joni basically talks about she starts in the beginning talking about the history of black musicians and jazz music and a bright she's talking about you know when charlie speaks of lester you know when charlie when charles speaks back and looks at lester he talks about a bright star of the dark age when the bandstand of the thousand ways of refusing a black man admission you know there was a time where in jazz clubs or bandstand areas they would refuse black musicians to play in anything. I know Charles himself wanted to be a cello player. That was his original love. He wanted to be a cello player. He loved playing it. And then, due to racism in classical music at that time, black musicians were not welcome to play with white musicians in classical, I guess, I think wouldn't be called bands, classical, you know, whatever, classical setups. And so he switched to playing bass or bass. I don't, how do you, bass or bass debut i don't know but yes so that's how you know he got into that but it definitely goes into that idea of being refused to play music with white musicians and sort of the racism of that time period the song also kind of goes into this like in that same vein of like going into these past days i kind of related it to how she talks about like in furry sings the blues she's like looking back at these old old days and then relates to the modern it's like she goes back and then she comes back to the to the modern age she does that in this song where she starts in the past and then moves into the present like she talks about um what's the part she talks about interracial couples and she's talking about when lester took him a wife arm and arm black and white um went black and white and some saw red and drove them from their hotel bed where it's basically this concept of Lester having an interracial relationship and Charles had one too. He Sue was an interracial relationship. And so this idea of being an interracial relationship would send, make people go red and drive them out of town because of it what is something that Joni feels like is a foreign concept. Now she's because she can walk hand in hand with her, with her man who is black Don uh, Elias was black. And so she's saying we can walk arm in arm and it can be perfectly fine. And we don't, and we're not worried about being hung, like hung in a tree. She's yeah, she says dri- driven out of town or hung in a tree or like lynched because of racism, like people once had or once did have to feel. And that's that's really interesting that she kind of relates to the past and then moves into the present. I really like that, you know, perceptions they have been handed generation day by day, that sort of concept of things being passed down. I think music is definitely something that gets passed down. And this album really is a reflection of that jazz music being passed to a new generation like Joni and being put in a new realm with players like Jocko and Herbie and stuff like that. I don't know. I really like it. Then um, the final verse goes into actually the uh, genesis of the lyrics because she was having a hard time writing the lyrics for this song. She really wasn't sure what she wanted to do. Because it was like an elegy in two ways, like one for Lester and one for Charles. But the inspiration came from seeing two um, young black kids doing um, a dance in front of the door of a jazz club called the Pork Pie Hat. 
which again the club was covered in photos of Lester Young and this image in her head like made her think about you know Charles and this concept of looking to the future but also remembering the past and how like there used to not be able to have black musicians in clubs and now there's a club named after a black musician and sort of this the way times have changed and so I think adding lyrics to Charles' most famous work and putting this story about generations moving forward is so is so beautiful and it's a great way to end this album. And her voice on this album is amazing. Or not this album, this song. Well, yeah, this album, but this song specifically is amazing. And yes, this is just a great... It's really an elegy. This is a great elegy to both Lester Young and to Charles and to this album. This whole album is just, it is a great tribute. Whether or not you feel like Mingus is a completed project, I think that to say it's just a demo is underlying the importance that it has in Joni's career and also the beauty that this album has. It's a great tribute piece and it talks about some very interesting things that I had never thought about in the concept and the idea of death and stuff like that. There's a lot of nuances that she makes that are just so interesting. And the music is great. I, I have nothing but positives to say. Jocko's playing is great. Herbie's playing is great. Wayne's great. Um, but yeah, I, I love Mingus. I love the closing track. I love, yeah, it's, it's great. So now to move on to the ratings, yippee we've made it. I would give this album a 9 out of 10. I honestly fuck off if you don't agree with that. I think it's great. I think the 1 out of 10 that I took off is because of Sweet Sucker Dance. No offense. Um, and also I wish there was more tracks. But I know that it was hard. It was hard to get a lot of tracks on this album because of his death and stuff like that. But but yeah, I think it's 9 out of 10. It's, it's a great piece. Excuse me. And um, my favorite song on this album is God Must Be a Boogeyman for sure. I just... I love that song so much. I think it's great. And my least favorite, no surpriser, is Sweet Sucker Dance, of course, because I just don't like that song. Anyways, <laughs> moving on from that. But yeah, that is Mingus. Wow. Um, it I, I really expected to have to be it longer, but I guess, you know, it's a shorter album. But I really recommend re-listening to this album if you have the chance. I know a lot of times when I bring this album up around people that are getting into Joni or people that like Joni a lot, they really get it, you know, I don't know, like they are turned away from it. They're like, I don't know if I really want to listen to that because I don't know. There's, it just has a different sound than anything I've heard before. It has, it, you have to go into it knowing that it's going to be different than anything you've ever heard before. And I think if you go in with that notion in your head, then you will able, you will be able to come out with something you know really really interesting and so yeah that is mingus i'm very excited to go next week into shadows and light but really this is the end of the 70s it's kind of it's it's sad that we're ending such a period in joni's career such an interesting period but now we're about to move into the into the greedy 80s as joni would call them and go into such a different realm of music oh my god it's such a different realm and Definitely a lot of mixed opinions on that type of music as well. Really, we won't be in a in a section of music that fans agree on until we get to Night Ride Home, I think. But that's all right. That's, that's a okay with me. I'm an 80s fan. So, oh, also the cover, I should say, 
for the 80s albums will be different for the podcast so don't be alarmed it's gonna have new illustrations by me of Joni in the 80s like one in wild things one in doggy dog and one in um chalk mark so just fyi for that but yes thank you all so much for listening please re-listen to miss to mingus as well i really i really recommend it also listen to charles mingus's music in general he has some great stuff i was listening to his music on apple music just to kind of get into the, this headspace and he's his music is amazing i i really like jazz music so i can get into it but but yeah so i will see you all next time on shadows and light shadows and light live it's the next live album and yeah thank you so much for listening and i will see you next time bye I'm gonna tell you what he's bad luck into because the name was done. It's gonna be the same funeral that Bill Cannon's on. Have an army with big shirts and the whole country's gonna say, Wow, he was so far out. You know what I mean? Look at church. I'm gonna be buried, man. I got my shit all figured out. You know, this, the, you're gonna get a big funeral. You're famous. But don't just decide the India. I'm gonna be buried in India. I know, but you're gonna get a big funeral in this country. And they'll play your music for two days. <laughs> Who's gonna do that? <laughs> Oh, this is, yeah, you know what I mean? You didn't want to hurry up, man.